What's leadership all about? It's relationships, relationships, relationships. John Maxwell said it best. You could be a leader, but when you look back and nobody's following, you're just taking a walk. My personal philosophy on how I lead is I work hard to make the best decisions that's in the best interest of the community first and then the department. Good morning, everybody, to episode eight of The Kitchen Table. The purpose of this podcast is to sit down and have real and honest conversations around all things leadership. It's called The Kitchen Table because we know some of the best conversations in the firehouse take place at the kitchen table. And the goal here is to focus that kitchen table caffeinated energy into talking leadership. I'm your host, Berlin Mazza. Alongside me is Deputy Fire Chief Bill Mack. Good morning, Bill. How are you this morning? Good morning, Berlin. Everything's great, man. Good. NFL playoff weekend. It is. It is. And we'll get into that as well. Yes, exciting, exciting weekend. Uh, today on the kitchen table, we're excited to have leadership conversations today with Fire Chief Harold Scoggins of Seattle Fire Department. Chief Scoggins has more than 30 years of experience in the fire service. He started his firefighting career as a member of the United States Air Force, where he served as a firefighter from 1984 to 1989. In 1989, Chief Scoggins joined the Glendale Fire Department where he advanced through the ranks serving as firefighter, engineer, captain, battalion chief, deputy chief, and in 2008, being named as fire chief. In April 2015, Chief Scoggins became the fire chief of the Seattle Fire Department. Chief Scoggins oversees a workforce of more than 1,100 uniformed and civilian members who respond to over 90,000 calls a year while serving a population of over 750,000 residents. Under Chief Scoggins, the department is organized into four divisions, administration, fire prevention, operations, and resource management. In his time with Seattle Fire Department, Chief Scoggins has asked, us, or has asked to co-lead the city's response to the COVID-19 pandemic, help the University of Washington Foster School of Business in establishing an executive leadership academy for fire department professional development, and has led a multi-agency team to address conditions in Seattle's largest homeless encampment. In 2019, he announced the formation of the Seattle Fire Foundation and is currently working on establishing a fire sciences associate degree program at Seattle Colleges. He is and has been involved in numerous community and professional organizations, such as the Washington Board of Advisors for the American Cancer Society, the King County Boys and Girls Club, Seattle Number no. 4 Rotary Club, a member of the Garfield High School Booster Club, football booster club that is, and a youth football coach. He is past president and an executive board member of the King County Fire Chiefs Association, where he serves as the chair of diversity subcommittee and also served on the board of the Washington Fire Chiefs Association. Chief Scoggins has a master's degree in public administration received from Cal State University, Long Beach, and a bachelor's degree in public administration from Cal State University, Los Angeles. He also has an associate of science degree in fire technology from Glendale Community College. Chief Scoggins is married to his beautiful wife, Abigail. They have four children, Anthony, Jasmine, Nicole, and Isaiah, and he has two grandsons. We're honored and excited to have Fire Chief Harold Scoggins of Seattle Fire Department at the kitchen table today. Good morning, Chief. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you this morning? Uh, good morning, and I'm doing well, and thank you for having me. One, one point of clarification on the North Seattle College program. Um, we're actually in our fourth semester now, the first cohort 
is getting ready to actually graduate this spring. So it's been successful. And the real good news about that is they're actually hiring um, a faculty tenured um, person to actually manage manage that program. And in college speak, that's really important because when you hire a person under that tenure umbrella, that means you have a sustainable program. So we're really proud of that program. Wow. And what what program is that, Chief? So you said North it, Seattle, uh, yeah, which program a, specifically? It's the North Seattle Fire Science Program. Oh, the Fire Science Program, okay. SDA program, and actually probably a number of those folks actually have conditional job offers too. So wow. it's working out. So that is, uh, wow, that's amazing. And it's, talk about uh, the topic of conversation today. We'll dive right into programs such as that and uh, the recruitment and hiring. So that's that's phenomenal. Thank you, Chief. Um, I also understand you are a football fan, yes? Oh, I'm a big fan. Okay. Well, it is championship weekend. So before we go further, Chief, uh, any predictions? Well, I'll give you some predictions, but they'll come with an asterisk by them. How about that? <laughs> Perfect. Oh, I, yes, of course. With the teams that's left, um, I'm a big fan of Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs, but you probably both know he has a high ankle sprain. So depending on his mobility will probably depend on how well they do. Yeah. Looking forward to seeing Kansas City light it up. Yeah. The Joe Burrow, you know, he's pretty impressive, but yeah. I'm a Mahomes fan. Yes. Absolutely. But I do believe the best defense left in the playoffs is on the NFC side is yep. the San Francisco 49ers. Yep. Being a kid who's born and raised in Southern California, you probably know we're not allowed to root for any team in the Bay Area. <laughs> I do acknowledge and I do recognize yeah. that defense is, is pretty impressive. It would be nice to see yes. Kansas City, San Francisco, there you with go. Patrick Mahomes all healed, uh, getting a second championship. Agreed, agreed. So a rematch from a, a couple of years ago, Super Bowl. That would be, uh, I'm not going to lie, that would be a, that would be a good matchup. Um, Chief Mack, if you were a betting man. And I am. You are. Oh, okay, you are. <laughs> predictions. Well, you know what? I, I 100% agree with Chief Scoggins on this one that I think that Patrick Mahomes in his healthy time is the better football player. Um, if you look at the two quarterbacks on the AFC side, I think, you know, you got Joe Burrow, who I think is a is a better technical quarterback. Um, but Patrick Mahomes is the better football player. And if he was healthy, I would, I, I would put my hard earned dollars on the chiefs. Although I do think that the high ankle sprain, we'll see, right. I mean, we'll see if he's able to stay in the pocket and we'll see if he's able to be a quarterback and this will be a good telling, telling yeah. feature this week. So I, I think the Bengals, my prediction will be that the Bengals will edge it out. My heart would be, because I'm a Kansas city, my family all comes from Kansas city. My dad yeah. graduated from Kansas and he would hate the fact that I would say anything other than this, but okay. my hard-earned money's on the Bengals. I do have. I would love it to see the Chiefs win. Okay. Um, and then again on on the NFC side, I, I agree with Chief that that defense of the Niners is yep. formidable at best. Um, yep. I think that uh, you know you look look at Brock Purdy. I think he's putting up good numbers. I mean, I think he's like number two in passing yards, and yeah. and along with that. Uh, although I do think that that the Eagles are gonna gonna give it to them a little bit, yeah. Um, but my prediction would be the Niners and the Bengals in the Super Bowl. Nice. All right. All right. Awesome. Um, it'll be exciting. All right. So before we get going on our leadership discussion today, Chief Goggins, you do have an extensive background, right? From growing up, playing ball, growing up. You served in the U.S. Air Force. You served through the ranks in California up to Fire Chief. 
You're now the fire chief in Seattle. Before we get going on our to uh, topic of discussion, would you mind sharing a little bit about Chief Harold Scoggins, about family, career, hobbies, anything you'd like to share before we get going? Um, sure. You know, just, you know, I, I am a big sports fan. You know, that um, that's probably my hobby. It was more of my hobby at one point in time when, when my, I have two boys and two girls and, um, you know, my girls did cheerleading and my boys did football and I, I coached in the leagues down in California and eventually became the, um, the president of the league and making sure everything goes okay. So, you know, I'm literally running home from the office and going straight to the football field. Um, but even when I got here, you know, it's just something that I think it's important opportunities to pour into young people. You know, you have 30, 40 or 50 kids on the team and they're looking to you as the coach and you get to spend some quality time with them, hearing their struggles, hearing their successes, you know, letting them know how proud you are of them. Um, so I, I really miss that um, because that was always important to me. My family, really important to me when we moved here. My two oldest kids, they were starting to fly on their own. So they stayed in LA and um and they're and they're doing fine. You know, my we have a grandson who's six by my oldest son. And um we have a grandson who's two who'll turn three in May. And and my oldest daughter just let me know that sent me an ultrasound this week and ah. expecting. And you know, I'm I'm hoping as a granddad for a granddaughter this time. So yeah. that would be important. But um, you know, I, I believe in what we do. Um, you know, you hear, you hear the comments all in, I've been all in for a long time. And I can remember when I first started this journey and I graduated high school in 83, I was going to West LA college, a community college and not really knowing what I was going to do in my life. And, and I went and took the ASVAB test, the military entrance exam. And I didn't even tell my dad. And, and I can remember when they give you the list of jobs, it's based on how you score. So after I got the list of jobs for the Air Force, I, I didn't know what to pick. And my father, he gave me some sage advice. He said, um, hey, why don't you pick something that you may want to do in case you don't want to make the military a career? And the list shrunk way down. It's like firefighter jumped off the page. Didn't know anything about it. Fire station around the corner from my house where I grew up in L.A. I grew up right near USC. Um, so right around the corner, never been inside that fire station. but. When I started to learn about the fire service and the teamwork, the hard work, the, the camaraderie, the family aspect, all of those things resonated with me. And it was like someone turns a light on in the room and you actually can see where you're going now. Mm -hmm. That really set the stage for my entire journey over the last you know three decades. Wow. Amazing. Thank you for sharing. And uh, I am going to ask a little bit about, uh, you know, the first time you went to a fire station. We'll jump right in that in just a minute. So thank you for sharing, Chief. We're excited to have this leadership conversation today to help us unpack the work with diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, so Chief, this is not the first time that you've talked to an audience regarding this work. In fact, at least here in King County, you're working on tons of projects. And we'll dive into some of those as well. But one of the projects that does stand out is the webinar that you did with Lexapol back in 2021, that two-part webinar where you had a discussion to unpack a lot of the uh, discussion on DEI with the three fire chiefs, two from the East Coast, and then also Deputy Chief Goldfeder. I thought the four of you unpacked a lot. And for anyone listening in today that is curious and that would like to learn more, in addition to listening in today to this podcast, I encourage everyone to 
to uh, to get on Google and uh, to type in Lexapol, racial equity in the fire service. I think uh, Chief Scoggins and three other chiefs from the East Coast unpack a lot in addition to uh, what we're going to unpack here today. So, uh, Chief, I think that's kind of where this work starts, right? It starts with curiosity, you know, for an individual to want to learn about DEI work themselves. Because let's be honest, it's 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 a term that it can be scary to some individuals. You know, as we start to talk about DEI or you know diversity in the fire service, there's there it comes a connotation, right, wrong, or indifferent, where people like don't want to talk about it. But I think starting the conversation with yourself, with family, with friends in that safe space is kind of where that starts. Would you agree? And uh, I guess the question is, how do you start to have that conversation if you've never had it yet? You know, I would agree that it starts with people close to you. And that could be any of the groups you just named, your family, your friends, your coworkers who you feel close to. Why? Because it's a safe space. And in a safe space, you should have the freedom to communicate but more importantly, you should have the freedom to make mistakes in how you communicate. You should um, have the freedom to be curious. You could, you should have the freedom to trip up without being judged, without being cast out. And that's where you can start to get your solid footing in those conversations with those people you trust. You know, sometimes when you try to jump into the deep end of the pool and you just learned something new and you got a large audience, but they all may not be your family or your friends or those close to you, then all of a sudden you get a response back on something you said. Mm-hmm. You haven't learned how to manage your response. You haven't learned how to um, take that feedback or take that criticism So that may cause you to trip up or make a mistake. And when I say trip up or make a mistake, you may say something that's probably that may be inappropriate, or you may say something that may not be received so well as as, as with all things. And and here's the analogy as new firefighters. What do we do? We learn how to pull a hose. We do it over and over. We learn why we learn the different techniques before we actually go to our first fire. It's the same way with difficult conversations. You have to learn step by step the do's and don'ts. You have to learn how to know your audience. You should you have to learn how to communicate because all those things are really important on how you actually have a really hard conversation. Um, so, you know, that that's a little bit to the question you just asked right there. Yeah, no, thank you. And can you help us demystify, if you will, the quote unquote scary work, uh, diversity, equity, inclusion. I mean, we've all been in the room, right? We've been in the fire stations, whether it be at the kitchen table, the coffee table, you know, DEI comes up, you know, people walk away, people, you know, don't engage, they leave the room. Can you help us unpack that the work being scary work? Um, yeah, I can, I can try. I mean, you know, firefighters, it's, it's interesting. Um, Things that are new or different um, may not get our folks that excited. Um, and DEI is one of those things. It could be a class on HR. It could be a class on, you could probably pick a number of topics. But this one, we're talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Why? Because generally, it leads down a road with um, having an uncomfortable conversation or hearing things that you may not agree with. And that's 
really it's all about diversity. You know, we were all raised in different places around this, this, this country or this world. And we all were brought up in different households and different cultures and norms. And then you bring a, a, diff- a group of people together with all of those differences. It's a high probability. You're going to hear something that you may not agree with. It may not be wrong. It just be, you may not agree with. Well, in DEI trainings, generally, depending on where you're from, you may hear a lot of that and it may become overwhelming. And that's where the uncomfortable piece comes in. And what are, what are, what do we normally do when we're uncomfortable? We resist, we push back. We want to get back to our safe place. Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You know, we want to be in that safe and comfortable space. Um, we want to make sure we have all the things we need. So we don't, we don't like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's not necessarily wrong. But as we grow as individuals, hopefully uh, our minds open up a little bit. We pull the blinders back. We don't necessarily have to agree. And that's that's good. Hopefully we become curious. After a lot of trainings and different things that I've done over the years, I go and do a little bit of research on my own because I want to learn more. I want I want to learn. I want to understand. I still may not agree, but at least now I understand more. Yeah. And that's okay. And that's really what DEI is. It, it makes us cautious. It makes us uncomfortable. And, and we should be uncomfortable because that's where growth comes in with anything. When we learn how to throw ladders for the first time, we were probably a bit uncomfortable. We didn't want to get it wrong. We, we wanted to hit the spot. We wanted to have climb the ladder, three points of contact. We want to make sure we did all those basic things. We we're nervous. But when we do it over and over and over, sets and reps, we start to feel pretty comfortable. It's the same thing with uncomfortable conversations and even this topic of diversity, equity, and inclusion. If I can add one more thing on there, awareness, because diversity, equity, inclusion helps create awareness when you get in those compromising situations. And I I think that that, I love the point about the curiosity, you know, and I think that there's also an element that I wanted to just bring in here of trust, right? That the people need to have this element of trust that they can trust that if they slip up, there's no, you know, that they get this kind of a, I, I hate to use the term pass, but that they can, they can have a, a conversation about it. Um, one of the things I wanted to bring up too, though, is we, as people who are professing and talking about diversity, equity, inclusion, and awareness using uh, Chief Scoggins' term, I love it. Um, we also have to remember that we, it's our job to, to give as much as they will be willing to receive that we don't over push the message, meaning that if a person is receptive, we take them to that receptive line and then we build on that the next time we have that conversation and that not everyone's ready for the all in at once. Some people are going to be in for part and then some people are going to be in for more. You know, if you think about the blank, the black Panthers in the sixties had this term, they called it KOP, which meant keep on pushing. Um, And it meant that that message needs to be deliberate. It needs to be as much as we can give and as much as they'll receive um, on, on that. And I think that's something important for us to, to know that we can't just, I think sometimes we over push with a group that's not ready to receive. And then that makes this barrier and we need to be aware of that. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting. Um, so two points on what you just said. So we all need to have humility in everything that we do. If we, if we're a bit humble, then we can try to recognize whatever environment that we're in 
And we should all try to provide grace in everything that we do. And if you do those two things, you start to you start to build a little bit of trust. But oftentimes when when training programs are developed, we have a curriculum. We got 15 slides. We got to get to these 15 slides. We don't often allow whoever the presenter is the flexibility to say, hey, slide seven is all they can take today with this group. So we stop because we have to get to slide 15. I think a different mindset has to be for the future is whoever the instructors are, the trainers or the teachers or whatever title you want to give them, they have to have the flexibility to say, hey, this group's cup is running over right now on slide nine. I know we got to get to 15, but we're going to stop on nine because that's all we can take for today. And that's got to be okay. And for training like this, it's really important because this is not training that we got to get to the end for CBT and our EMT research, or we got to, you know, do our live fire training or a respiratory fit testing where there's absolutes. This is knowledge-based training where hopefully if people take it in, they can just learn a little bit more and, and they will grow at their own pace. Cause that's kind of what you mentioned, we need to grow at our own pace in this work. I mean, awareness, it's totally true because um, it starts with, understanding and, and just educating self, you know, and it's it, without it, we'll never understand it, I guess. Right. If we're not, you know, we, if someone says something about DEI, they, you gotta, you know, look it up. Right. A lot of times we see, you know, an individual, we talked about this in our, in our last podcast, when we uh, unpacked a lot on DEI is, is, you know, well, no, no one trained me. Nobody, it was the, well, no one, uh, the department didn't give me the training. So I guess do, I don't, I must not need to know it. And, you know, we don't, we apply awareness and education on topics that we love, right? Whether it's, and we talked about this, like if it was something about like tactics, for example, or say physical wellness, you know, if you love to work out, people will research a better way to work out and they'll, they'll find new ways because they love it. And unfortunately, when we talk about DEI, it's like, if you're not, want, if that's not your topic, if you will, people won't self-educate. And so they won't become aware and they won't have uncomfortable conversations. They'll walk away from conversations. So I love that piece when you said uh, got to add awareness because that's great. So I'm going to ask a, a quick question here, Chief. So diversity in the workforce. So we uh, we hear it all the time. In fact, diversity is is something that hits home for a lot of people when they say, "Why do we need diversity?" Right? And it's and you've heard the term. People will say, "What does diversity matter? All we care about is having the best firefighter here." And as we know, the term "best" is very you know there's it, that's that's a you know, that's a subjective item, right? It's, it, there's so much biases in the word best. My definition of best is going to be different than the next and different from the next. And so when we talk about diversity in the workforce and having a workforce that's more diversified today than it has been, say, 10 and 20 and 30 years ago, can you help us unpack the importance of a diversified workforce? Sure. Um, I can do my best, and that's what I'll commit to. Yeah. Um, you know, oftentimes when we when we hear the perspectives that we just want the best or the most qualified firefighter, we're really thinking linear. We're thinking about only pulling hose or throwing ladders or taking blood pressures. If that was all we did, that would make perfect sense. But the reality is that's not all we do. Interpersonal skills, understanding, awareness, that's a part of what we do also. When we think about the work that we do, we may go out to an EMS call, but we're not only going to do an assessment, 
We're going to read the room. We're going to understand, try to understand the cultures and values and norms of the people that we're serving so we don't trip up along the way. We're going to try to do all of those different things. If there's language barriers, we're going to try to do our best to, to, to figure out how to translate so they can understand what we're doing. The fire is the same way. We can go on a fire call and, you know, we show up, we pull holes, we throw the ladders, we get the fire out. But there, now there's a possible family displaced. If you have understanding and awareness and if this particular family from this particular region of the world, you may want to go in and get these three or four things because, you know, to that culture, it means a great deal. So you're outside of the box now. You're not in that linear thinking anymore. Oftentimes, when we think about DEI, we only think about, um, you know, as opposed to, um, you know, bringing people into the department. That that's that's all. That's a lot of minds stop right there. DEI. We're going to educate us more because we're going to bring more people into the department, and they're going to look different than me. It it's it's both and. Mm-hmm, it's exactly. how we serve the community better. And it's possibly connecting and bringing in a different and diverse population who can under, help us understand those yep. different cultures, values, and norms of the community we serve. When we look out the door of all of our fire stations and in our communities, there's a wide variety of people from all over this planet who speak multiple language, who, who just show up as their authentic self. And shouldn't we try to understand that a little bit more? And, you know, the answer to my mind is yes. And how do we do that? Well, we try to educate our folks. We try to um, help them understand what equity is, help them understand what inclusion is. Why? So we can create that awareness, whether it's inside the firehouse or outside the firehouse. Yeah. I I was sitting in a workshop with DEI months ago, and uh, the consultant used the term, you know, when we talk about, you know, an individual when you're having a conversation, say, we just want the best candidate or we just want someone that could do X, Y, Z. And it's not that those individuals are, you know, incorrect, right? It's not about that. That's, that's a correct statement. We do want an individual that could do X, Y, Z, whether it be, you know, pulling hose, throwing a 35 foot ladder by themselves, whatever it may be. That's not, that's not incorrect. We do want people that can do that, but it's an incomplete statement, meaning we do want that. and X, Y, Z, A, B, C, D, E, F, G kind of thing. And like what you said, we want both. And so I think that's the power of having a diversified workforce is we can add on and not just have, you know, the X, Y, Z of what, of what people are saying. I was just going to just chime in a little bit because that's what I do Um, about remembering too, that, you know, a lot of times when we talk about DEI work, people make it a race thing, a black, white issue. You know, now we, because of some intentional work we've done in Berlin, um, you know, they're making that male-female issue in the fire service. But really, diversity means just a, a thought, right? We we could easily say diversity is a generational thing, too, right? That people of different generations are thinking differently. Um, and so when we, we got to make sure that people aren't just tying race with diversity, 
you know, or gender with diversity. And we have to open up their mind that we're really talking about social economic. We're also talking about, you know, where you grew up in the nation, you know, between the South and the East and the West Coast, you know, what what town you grew up even in, in our region, you know, did you grow up in rural Pierce County as opposed to su- suburban, you know, King County areas? Th- those are all things that we got to bring. It's not just about race and gender. We're past that. Not that there's still not work to be done in those areas. There is a lot of work to be done, but we also have to bring it home. And that, and that makes it a little bit more successful sometimes when I'm talking to people about diversity, you know. And just to add with you, you know, both just said, you know, diversity also helps us in trying to understand the needs of the community better, right? Understanding the demographic in the area, the cultural norms of the community you serve. You know, it's important to understand that we're, as firefighters, we're not just going to a house fire, you know, or to an EMS call, right? That's not all we do. And where diversity in the workforce comes into play a lot is is when we're doing some of this other work too. And I think that's what gets misconstrued oftentimes when we talk about diversity. You know, no one is trying to take away anything by diversifying the workforce, right? Diversifying your workforce is simply trying to add value where an organization might not currently have. Uh, so jumping into equity, Chief, uh, you defined equity perfectly in the Lexapol webinar that you did a few years back. And as we talk about recruitment today, as we talk about hiring, as we talk about potential barriers in the hiring process or just equitable processes within the fire service, can you help us unpack equity and why it helps? Yeah, you know, I'll try. Um, you know, early in my career, we heard about equal a lot, equal this and equal that and equal this. And equity is a little bit different. Equity is giving people actually what they need to be successful or giving them the information they need to be informed. And and, and I'll use this example. So if we did a recruitment today, we probably have a certain segment of the population who's already paying attention, who's looking for it, who's monitoring our website, and just announcing it publicly on our website is probably enough. Why? because somehow they have been connected to the fire service and they are paying attention to it. But if you have another person that comes from another place, or even using myself as an example, I grew up as a kid in South Central LA. I never saw the fire station door open. I never even knew where to look if I wanted to be a firefighter. So I was not informed. So if we just looked at sharing information, well, one group, they're looking for it, why? Because somehow their awareness has been um, has been amped up to do this, but a person who has no no connections, no affiliations, doesn't even know where to start, then we're probably going to have to take a different approach in how we recruit that person. It's not saying that one is better than the other. It's just one doesn't have any awareness. So equity is for this group. I can just put the flyer out. I know they're going to show up. For this group, because there's no family members, there's no friends, I'm probably going to need to go to some community events. I'm probably going to need to talk to some churches. I'm probably going to need to run some ads and some different publications and have some conversations. That's equitable because this group's already there. There's a lot of good people in that other group over there. They just don't even know where to start or they don't even know when to start. So equity is giving people what they need giving them the information they need. Everyone gets to the same place, but it's really giving people what they need. That's the equitable distribution. 
and to tie it back to what we discussed in the last question, when we talked about how oftentimes, you know, most would say all that they're looking for when hiring new firefighters is we want the best firefighter to work here. Well, technically, that's actually an impossible statement when you don't have equity in place or recruitment in place, right? And I think there's no better example than when we, when people say, you know, let's go recruit at the colleges, let's go recruit at the universities, right? Many athletes at the collegiate level and higher would make great firefighters. But how many collegiate or ex-professional athletes know about the fire service? 1% less? So when we talk about finding individuals that would make great firefighters, it's actually impossible without doing the work on equitable processes and opportunities and recruitment because the pool of candidates is limited to those who know about the fire service. You know, people define the best candidate differently. Uh, and that's important to um, recognize that because the best candidate may not be the candidate that um, can pull the hose and throw the ladder the best. The best candidate may be the candidate who can pull hose, yep. who can throw ladders, but who also brings a, um, a multilingual skill set that's going to help you communicate with this part of the population. Yep. So we have to redefine what best yes. actually is because we get stuck in that place. I've always looked at diversity in the workforce as adding value to where an organization might not already have. You know, one example would be if an individual can speak another language and the community that you serve has a population that can speak that language, there's an added value there. And because at the end of the day, whether it be, you know, going to a fire, going to an EMS call or, you know, whatever it may be, the job does get done, right? No matter who it is. But diversity is about how could we do that same job that we always do a little bit better. And I think that's what diversity does. And, and if I can just even expand a little bit more, it, it's easy for people to relate to the language gap when we talk about these scenarios. But as, as Bill said earlier, diversity means a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. When we hire firefighters who understand social vulnerabilities because they've experienced it, maybe the education system in their community um, wasn't the best. Maybe the healthcare system wasn't the best. Maybe poverty, maybe economics. We hire firefighters, no matter what color they are, that really understand that. We have those areas in our community that we serve they're going to provide a better service mm -hmm. to that community. Oh, they're probably going to go above and beyond. Why? Because they have some of those personal experiences. Mm -hmm. They get it. Yeah. It's not just the language. It's just all of those things yeah. that make the whole person because we have all of those different segments of our community that we have to serve. Yeah. Go ahead, Bill. Yeah. I just have a, a, a real quick interjection here um, and a question for Harold. So, you know, in Pierce County, I, I will admit that we are probably a little bit behind in this diversity work when we come to entry-level testing. Um, yeah, in fact, I just had a meeting yesterday with several agencies in Pierce County that are looking at, you know, removal of barriers and some of the access issues. I mean, we're talking about like taking away EMT requirement off of some of our entry-level testing, moving the placement of the CPAP to once, you know, we want you to get a conditional or even within academy and not having it be at the beginning, things like removal of some of the standardized testing. Um, I know you've done a ton of work and I really enjoyed the workshop that you've been doing in King County. We'll probably talk about that here in just a little bit, but can you share with some of our listeners, 
you know, people want tangible items that they can do to remove barriers to entry level. What are some of the things Seattle's doing specifically to, to um, get in, remove access problems and get in that people who may not have been able to get in before? Yeah, the, the things that you've mentioned, and it, it's, it's Seattle, you know, we have a great team of people that's paying attention to this. Um, but, you know, I'll use the EMT as an example. You know, when we get thousands and thousands of applicants, what do you want to do? You want to set up filters so when you get to the interview, you don't have thousands and thousands of applicants. But what are you doing probably? Remember that kid that I was living in L.A.? I didn't know anything about being a firefighter, so it's a high probability that I would not have an EMT. So when we have EMT, for example, as a barrier, even if you live in the heart of the city here in Seattle, you may not have known enough that I better go get that EMT class or even where to get it. So we offer um, our tests as not a requirement. And if a person doesn't have an EMT and they they score well, they interview well, they do all of those things well, we'll teach you EMT. We're going to invest in you. Not only are we going to teach you EMT because we know you you may have to support yourself. We created a wage while you're in EMT training that we're going to pay you. So now when you pass the class, you now walk into recruit training. So because we understand the difficulties and hardships, you may have families, you may have bills to pay. So it may be an unrealistic expectation for you to actually even go to EMT school because you can't afford it because you have bills to pay. So we have tried to remove that type of a barrier. And that becomes really important. Another thing that we do is, is we Chief, I'm sorry, can I interrupt real quick? That mm -hmm. EMT, these are people who already have conditionals. Or are you giving them, are, are, is that EMT a part of their hiring process? Is that what you're doing? So you're hiring them and then teaching them EMT? Yeah, well, we give them a conditional offer. Okay. You, If they don't have EMT, they have the conditional offer. Actually, this is coming up in May for our August class. So we have a group. They'll be going to EMT training. We will pay them the conditional offers on the table. You pass the EMT training. You now go into our August recruit Academy. So in May, when you start EMT training, we're going to pay you a wage because we understand life happens. And the last thing we want to do is put anyone in a compromising position. We know this is a great profession. We know you won't be a millionaire, but you'll be able to take care of your family and your needs. But a lot of people can't get there because they can't even afford to take six or eight weeks off to go and take an EMT class. We recognize that. So we tried to do things to say, okay, that's not a problem. We're going to pay you a wage. And now all you have to do and totally focus on EMT because you don't have to worry about the wage is pass the EMT. Now you join our August Academy, but what does that do for you? That gives you time in the organization. That gives you time to start building relationships. Why? because our paramedics, our EMTs are teaching the class. So not only are they teaching you EMT, you're starting to learn the SFT culture. So when you walk into the academy in August, then your mind's already open to learning. You've already met a few people. You've already been to the place. So there's familiarity. So all of the new car smell stuff starts to wear off a little bit, which means that you could be yourself a little bit when you walk into recruit training and you've seen it. So hopefully that makes a better candidate. That's just one example. Yeah. I love the, la the even the last piece, obviously the EMT piece and, you know, offering the opportunity for them early on is I love the piece where you said they get to learn the culture a little bit more. You get to, you know, just because uh, let's be honest, um, a lot of the hires, hirees nowadays are, 
you know, may not have volunteer fire experience. And mm-hmm. some people do get, you know, don't make a pass recruit Academy because they didn't understand the culture of the fire service. They didn't understand the way things work or the interactions. And it'd be unfortunate to lose a candidate who, you know, made it this far, right? Say they interviewed against, you know, 2000 people or test against 2000 top 30 get hired. You know, that's the top, you know, two, 3%, but then, you know, they get, you know, they get weeded out in the Academy because they just didn't understand the culture. So I think this part, what you're saying is, 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 is great because it's like, we don't want to lose great candidates because they didn't understand a culture. You know, it's, it, 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 that, that's a barrier itself. Like you're saying is if they can learn about the fire service, cause they don't know it before they can learn the culture um, ahead of time before getting into that recruit Academy interaction. I think that's just a benefit. So if I can just add two more points, I yeah. think the leaders of, of fire service organizations have to really examine their process and have to examine where their candidates are coming from. And, and, and I say that for a couple of reasons. Um, one, if you take a look at your process and your lists and, you know, there's a thing called the four fifths rule and different things like that. And you're not aware of the four fifths rule. That's some research you probably need to do if you're a fire service leader. But if your if your process and lists aren't meeting the four fifths rule, you should start examining it there. But and that's just one point. Um, so I'm just planting a seed for people out there to go look up the four fifths rule. <laughs> Perfect time today. But the second piece is this. Who has most of the volunteer programs in our region? Well, it's rural parts of of um, the state. Yep. So you get the volunteer experience. You're probably going to get an EMT experience. So then when you open up your testing process, who generally is going to score better? People exactly. with the volunteer experience, people who already come in with EMT. That's not saying that people who don't have access to those programs are bad people or less qualified. But if you're a kid living in the inner city of Seattle, you don't have access to volunteer programs. And if you did, how are you going to drive 20, 30, 40 minutes or an hour away yep. to volunteer uh, at a department in a community that you have no awareness of yep. and do it consistently? You're, you're, you're probably not. Yep. So that's why we have to create more programs here in the inner city and look at our processes and ask the honest question. Yep. Do we have a process that's conducive to individuals living in and around our community um, that, that they can do well in. Yes. And if we don't, then we have to ask ourselves the question, what course corrections do we need to make? And But it all starts with examining your process, everything from recruitment to your written exam to all of the different barriers and steps along the way, having a hard look at your backgrounds, your sites, um, your medical exams, and if our fire service leaders aren't engaging, you know, in these type of processes, it's going to be business as usual. Fire service leaders who engage, it won't be business as usual. So what's the saying is you do, you know, you want a different result or you want to diversify. You want, you know, a different workforce. You want X, Y, Z. But if you continue to do the same things you've always done, how are you supposed to get a different result? You're just, you're just not. So you mentioned this, and this is right in line with uh, one of our actual head topics is the coffee top off. It's called our rapid fire. And it's one of the best parts of the episode is because we talked to you, Chief, as the our guest speaker and leader today. You mentioned the organizational and what they need to do, which is look at their processes. So Chief, offer some suggestion, some kind of action item for leaders to start doing today to grow as leaders. So DEI work is challenging for many. Right. I firmly believe it starts with education and like you said, awareness and then expanding from that. But what can leaders start doing right now to help foster an environment where 
people will, you know, embrace DEI efforts to be an advocate for the work, or at the very minimum, just not be antagonistic to the work and or be stronger leaders. So talk to three groups. The first one, that newer employee, right? This is that informal leader. This could be a recruit firefighter, probationary firefighter, uh, you know, a newer member of an organization. Um. So can I can I switch absolutely the response a little bit? Absolutely. So I'll talk to the leaders first. Yes. Because this is rapid fire. I'm not going to be long here and I can probably ramble a little bit. But to the leaders and to those mid-managers and the captain, supervisor, lieutenant yep. level, a couple things that you can do. You can go to the King County Fire Chief's website and you can look at two documents that we have on the King County Fire Chief's website. Strategy for Increasing Diversity and Equity and Inclusion in the Fire Service. That's a good document. A lot of reference points, a lot of links, a lot of information where you can start to become educated because being educated is, is the first thing that I'm gonna recommend. And then the second thing, once you get through that document and it's gonna trigger a lot of curiosity, a lot of questions, and you get through that prior, part of the process, then click on the second document. It's a toolkit for increasing diversity, equity, inclusion in the workplace. There's not one program that fits all. So the action item is, hey, pick one thing. Yep. Just do one thing. You got to yep. start somewhere. But those two documents are, are excellent tools. I presented those documents to the Metro Chiefs um, across this country. We've shared them with the Washington State Fire Chiefs. Um, I, I've shared them with a number of peers of mine around the nation because the first one, it gets you educated. And the second one starts to give you some, some tangible things that you can actually put into action today. Yes. Uh, so that's to those mid-managers and the leaders. To the new firefighters coming in, um, one of the things, and, and this is actually all levels, relationships. Start building relationships. The new firefighters, you're working to find your place. You're working to get your legs under you on this ship. You know, they're a little wobbly right now, but they start to get more stable with the more relationships that you build and value the relationships that you build along the way. And, and that is a recommendation for all, you know, that new firefighter, that mid-level and the chief. Build relationships and try to sustain those relationships. It's hard to do, but try to sustain them. If you build those relationships, you build trust. When you build trust, you're able to have more difficult or hard or uncomfortable conversations. That's why I say the relationship building is the key. And we hear it all the time, leadership. What's leadership all about? It's relationships, relationships, relationships. John Maxwell said it best. You could be a leader, but when you look back and nobody's following, you're just taking a walk. <laughs> yeah. You look back and everybody's following you, then you're leading because they're following. So yeah. relationships is the key to all of this. Oh, wow. Beautiful. Hey. Harold, let me let me dive into that a little bit too. You know, we often in our in our podcast we talk a lot about leading from where you are, right? That you know, if you're a probationary firefighter, you can still be a leader. You know, to the other probationary firefighters, you can be a leader in your as a newer employee in your fire station, making sure you know things are done and that you guys are are squared away. You can be a leader as a mid level manager. You can be a leader as a chief officer, all the way up. I, I know you did this because I know enough about you and your work ethic that you were a leader at all levels, you know, as you progress to the fire service, but yet you still promoted. Here's a question I get from a lot of young leaders. They're happy being an engineer at ones, right? Or they're happy being a lieutenant at, you know, fives. But they always say, well, why would I want to become a chief, right? I mean, why do I want to take that next step? And I want to try to encourage them to to continue their battle of, of, of being a leader and promoting. So talk to me about or talk to the listeners about why they should promote and become 
the chief of Seattle? Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting question because I love being an engineer, driving the engine. And, driving <laughs> fire. and then I, when I got promoted to captain, I said, this is the best job in the world. I still get to go into fires and do all of those things. You know, every position I, I've loved. But, you know, the person has to think about this. What type of impact do they want to have on their organization, on the community, on the profession? And and if, if in your mind it says, I want to have a greater impact, we often don't know what that is, but I want to have a greater impact, then you have to start to explore the options that are out there for you. Maybe as a, as a captain, I can change this that I can't change as an engineer. As a battalion chief, I can impact this that I can't impact as a captain, all the way up to chief. And you have to be okay with being uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Every promotion, every test I've taken, every new role. Here's an example. I walked into Seattle with April 1st, 2015. That was my first day. I'd never been to Seattle. I didn't know a single soul on the department. I'd never been to the city. And, and here I am in this new organization. You think I was uncomfortable? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But you got to be okay with being uncomfortable. My personal philosophy on how I lead is I work hard to make the best decisions that's in the best interest of the community first and then the department. Why? Because we say we are here to serve. If you look on Seattle logo stuff, you see here to serve on a lot of stuff because that's who we say we are. We're here to serve. And if we're here to serve the community, we have to make the best decisions possible. Those individuals who are thinking about promoting, I will encourage you, go find a person who you admire at that next level up, have an honest conversation. Find the other person who may you may not think so highly of, have mm-hmm. an honest conversation. And between those two conversations, you're going to be able to understand what you can do and what you can't do. Because oftentimes it could be that person you don't want to work for anymore that may inspire you to promote because you think you can do a little bit better and you don't want the next generation coming up behind you to have to experience that. All of those things matter, but we need good leaders who are okay with being tired, who are okay with being uncomfortable because all of those things are real. Every day I go home, I'm exhausted and my wife sees it, but she knows I really love and believe in what I'm doing. So um, the difference that I can make is real. Yeah. Oh, what you said was beautiful, Chief. It it was perfect. I threw that lure out and he did did perfect. That's what I wanted. Well, and it's it's interesting uh, because you're the fire chief of Seattle Fire Department and you're, this is the second time you've been the fire chief of an organization and you said you go home each day and you're tired. It's like every new role you take on, whether it be a linear role or the next role promotion up, it, it has to be harder, right? It's not supposed to get easier when you promote. It's a new set of challenges, but if you're doing it right and you're trying to be the best leader you can at that spot, for, uh, to what Bill was saying, is leading from where you are, from wherever that is, it's supposed to be hard and you're supposed to be tired at the end of the day. And that's how you're doing it. Right. Because if it's all of a sudden you became easier, well, you're probably not doing it as efficiently or effectively as you think you are. So lastly, to finish up that not so rapid fire, which is awesome because we can go for hours at this stuff is we have to um, address the senior and established leaders of organizations. It could be, you know, senior members, it could be chief officers, it could be the fire chief, it could be, you know, commissioners and mayors. What's one tangible item or suggestion that they could do starting today to grow as leaders, to help us embrace the work in DEI or anything in between? Well, one thing that we all can do 
at every level is to continue to educate ourselves. Um, you know, that, that's all, that's important because oftentimes when we get that promotion or we get to that level, we think that is meant for us. We feel like we have arrived. And what do we do? We take that long road trip. When we, we get to the place, wherever the place is, we kind of, we let the air out. We, we take a couple of breaths and we kind of relax. So we got, we got to not relax as leaders. Yep. You know, we have to continue to educate ourselves. We have to continue to be curious. If you like reading books, find books where you continue to grow and learn. If you like hearing speakers, find a speaker series. If you like podcasts, find a podcast that makes sense for you. Whatever it is, you have to continue to learn. And then you have to continue to meet new people, um, peers. You know, you hear the, the term iron sharpen iron. And, and that that's such a true statement but it's it's um it's a statement that can provide you a bit of relief in tough times i have a group of chiefs that i meet with uh monthly we we do a call once a month um and for me it's a place where where i can um share my challenges they can share their challenges we can exchange ideas um and it's a safe place and it creates new ideas for me when I get off that call to say, hey, I'm going to go look this up and I'm going to go research that. So um, continue to educate ourselves and find a group of people who can really provide you honest and frank feedback on what you're doing and where you're going. Sometimes people uh, in your organization may not do that because it's a fear of you're the chief um, or you're the battalion chief or the deputy chief, or that's my captain. I'm not going to tell my captain the truth, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Find a group of peers that can do that and make sure some of those peers are outside of your organization, because if they are, they can be a little more honest with you and you can be a little more honest with them. So educate and find some peers that you can connect with. Cause if you do that, you will continue to grow and don't get complacent. Oh, Chief, Chief, we could spend all day talking to you. Thank you so much for, for what you've been uh, able to lead us through uh, the conversation today. I always bring this up every episode, and it, it interests me uh, to hear from other leaders of what their non-negotiables are. You know, you know, what are the things that you're that are core to you as a leader um, at, at, you know, at Seattle? Well, I'll give you one. Integrity. When I make a commitment for something, that's non-negotiable. Um, when, when I got here eight years ago, I took an oath of office to serve this community. I made commitments to follow our laws and ordinances and policies. Um, and for me, it's non-negotiable. And as you, you both can imagine, over the last few years, that's really been challenging, challenged and tested. Um, but my oath was I'm going to be committed to what I committed to do. And when I can't do that, it's time for me to leave. Because when I land and I start with integrity, that means it's Seattle values, integrity. That means I'm going to have to have some courage along the way. Because mm -hmm. that means I'm going to have to go against the grain from time to time. But I always start with integrity in everything that I do and the commitments that I make. Because when I can't uphold those commitments, it's time for me to go. And sometimes it means it's the unpopular decision, as we've experienced recently. Yep, absolutely. And Chief, as you talk about the city of Seattle, the challenges the city has faced over the last few years, it drives us right into the hot coffee portion of the podcast. And Chief, the hot coffee portion of the show is where we discuss a controversial topic of some sort. 
controversial topic in the fire service in leadership or in both. And as we have this conversation today about diversity, equity, and serving the community, the hot topic of the day is the homeless population. Seattle has one of the highest homeless population rates in the country, as we know. Um, if you don't mind, Chief, can you talk about some of the challenges the city faces, but more specifically as it pertains to the fire department? You know, our goal is to serve our whole community, um, whether you live in a nice home in Magnolia or whether you're sleeping under Interstate 5. It's the whole community. But everybody needs something different. It's just like we're talking about on diversity and equity. People need different things to meet their needs. And our homeless population needs a different type of service. We have some places we go to over and over and over again, and we realize that we're going over and over and over again because we're not doing anything different. So we have steadily been trying to come up with new and different ways to kind of look over the fence on what the future is and how do we do this a little bit better. And as I look at where we've come over the last several years with our mobile integrated health program, when I when I look back in 2015 and 2016, um, we had an idea and we did some creative things in February of 2018. We had a one day conference here in Seattle and we invited 30 fire departments from around the nation to come to Seattle on a snowy February day for a one day conference on homelessness. And I thought maybe we may get the local departments. We got departments from Utah to Vancouver, Canada, all from LA and Texas and everything in between because everyone was talking about one topic. And that showed me that we're all facing something similar. And what we've done is we've grown our mobile integrated health program. Now we have eight case managers. The fire department has eight case managers, wow. three health one units. We're in the process of hiring a nurse practitioner. We're still looking at ways to serve a population that needs to be served in a new and different ways. We know those calls don't take 10 or 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. Our health one teams, when they go out, they average about 57 minutes per call because they're doing things that are just different yep. than um, we were taught as firefighters going on an EMS call and, and they have a case manager with them. So they're connecting them up with services. They're getting in the places they need to be. We're giving out um, lift vouchers and taxi vouchers to get people to different places. We're doing so many new and different things because we're trying to understand what the needs of the community are. And we're getting better at it each and every day. But one of the things that we continue to do, I continue to think about, is what's next. Yeah. What's coming next? Because wow. we look at how we evolved as a fire service from, you know, 140 years ago to basically putting out fires, to fire prevention, to EMS, to hazmat, to rope rescue. And the list just goes on and on and on. Mobile integrated health is just the next thing. Yeah. There's something waiting and coming after it. But we have to figure out ways to continue to meet our community's needs. And we have to be open to the thought process that they may not be in their traditional way that we're used to as firefighters because yep. our name is misleading. We do so many other things. So we have to have open minds to do those things. Wow. Gee, I mean, you said it perfectly, right? I mean, at the end of the day, you know, the fire department does have to look for ways for additional ways to serve the community, the whole community. And I love how you say, you know, what's next? Uh, because it's true. What is next? Because the next is coming. Um, so now, Chief, we could go for hours with this conversation. Um, but let's just jump right into the leadership challenge. Uh, because the sole purpose of this podcast is to, you know, have the leadership conversation, but to also spread the leadership conversation as far as we can take it and to engage 
as many listeners as we can along the way. Uh, the leadership challenge is where we ask our guest speaker to challenge or to call out another individual to come talk leadership uh, on the kitchen table. So, Chief, if, is there someone out there that you would recommend and who would be willing to come talk leadership at the kitchen table with Chief Mack and I? Um, yeah, I was thinking about this a little bit, and um, I have a, a lot of suggestions, but I'm going to give you one who is local. Awesome. Because I am, I am so proud of her. I'm honored to call her my friend. And um, she has been through some challenges that most fire chiefs don't experience. And that's uh, Chief Sarah Boone, the Portland Fire Chief. She is a deep thinker. She cares about community. And she's passionate about our profession. And you don't often see um, African-American women in that leadership role. And she's done an incredible job. So my opinion, that would be an, an awesome conversation um, for you guys to have with her. Thank you. This is Ch Chief Sarah Boone. Boone. Okay. Any. What we'll do is we'll uh, gather some contact information at a later time and let uh, Chief Boone know that she's been leadership tagged by Chief Harold Scoggins with Seattle Fire Department. Uh, so before we officially close this episode today, Chief, lasting thoughts to our listeners as we finish up episode eight of the kitchen table? Well, thoughts are just, just a few thoughts. Try to keep the fire burning, keep the passion alive um, because that will fight complacency. And as long as you're passionate about something, you're going to try to do something to make it better. Um, that's important. Keep learning, um, you know, keep the mind open, keep pulling the blinders back, always want to look behind the curtain, always want to understand with, with like pumps and things related to the fire service. We're always curious and we want to know how engines work and all these things work. Keep the mind open to being curious and learning um, all these new and different things. And that's important too. So education, curiosity, and building relationships. You know, like Eminem said, the great, the great poet, hi, my name is, keep putting your hand out, shaking people's <laughs> hands, keep meeting people, keep, you know, keep building relationships. I'm a fan of rap music. So the other great poet is, you know, Ice Cube, today was a good day. Oh, think awesome. about it, even on the hard days, you can think that you had an op and it doesn't matter what position you're in. Yep. You could be a firefighter doing CPR, saving a life. You could be a, a captain training new firefighters. You could be a BC implementing a new program. You could be a firefighter getting some new things for the department. Today was a good day. And even in the days you don't, you don't get those days, it was still a good day because you tried. Don't be afraid of failure. That's uh -huh. important. If we're afraid of failure, we won't do things. You cannot be afraid of failure. And that's where courage comes in. You know, you have to be okay with putting yourself out there. So those are just a few thoughts that I'd wrap up with. Oh, thank you, Chief. I mean, throughout today, I've heard educate, humility, uncomfortable. There it is. Relationships, integrity, courage, serving others. Um, that, 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 that's great, Chief. And thank you. I know our listeners will resonate with all the above and more. Uh, Chief Mack, lasting thoughts before we close. I just want to thank again uh, Chief Scoggins for all the work he's done, man. It seems like I everything that I look at, read about, um, touch anymore when it comes to fire service and fire service leadership, if it has anything to do in King County or Seattle, his name is there. He's leading the charge. He's doing more than just you know, be a, be a chief. He is actually a leader in the community and in King County. 
uh, and in our area. And in fact, um, nationwide now, if you listen to his Lexapol, I mean, he has um, big, big, big shoulders and he's carrying, carrying on a movement. I want to thank you for your work that you've done. Um, it takes, you know, guys like me who've been doing the business at, at a different level and, and a different angle. Um, it gives us some credibility. It lets us know that we're all moving uh, the mission forward. So um, in, in the words of the Black Panthers, KOP chief, right? Just keep on pushing, please. Keep on pushing. There you go. Thank you. Uh, well, thank you, everybody, for tuning in today to the kitchen table. We truly hope that you found this time valuable. We hope that we've inspired you to take action, to lead, and to help spread this leadership conversation wherever it takes you. Until next time, be safe, be intentional and stay curious.